As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi everyone and welcome to Pixels, a podcast for the discerning gamer. Hello everyone and welcome back to Pixels. My name is Patrick Beja and the show is a show where we get uh, all of the important news from the video game industry. We discuss it, we analyze it, we hopefully somewhat understanding a little bit, although it, it might prove challenging today since we're going to be talking about PlayStation Pro. Um, we're also going to be talking about the Tokyo Game Show and Apple and Nintendo's a surprising announcement from last week and to help help me navigate the treacherous waters of video game news is one tom merritt how's it going? hello i am doing well thank you for having me you are uh it's always a pleasure for having you so you really shouldn't be thanking me i should be thanking you thank you oh, for coming it's on. a thank fest <laughs> <laughs> all right enough with all of the silliness um we're going to be talking about news and uh the playstation thing that happened did you watch the actual thing or just the the fallout news from it i just uh followed the news from it i wasn't able to i was i was on vacation at the time uh so i i didn't you actually it wasn't able to actually watch you did you mean you didn't watch the playstation meeting when you were on vacation no as a matter of fact no. oddly enough i didn't it you was dinner time so uh, for me. <laughs> you were you were in japan so if it had been in japan because sony often does stuff in japan although no now they've been doing stuff in the west mm -hmm. it doesn't even even hold um but it, it was quite interesting you would have seen how low-key that thing was it was um so just to summarize they announced the uh long rumored playstation pro along with the playstation slim um and we're going to be discussing this in just a second although playstation slim there isn't much to say it's just you know repackaged model uh yeah. cheaper price that's in the grand it. slim tradition essentially. exactly um playstation pro is certainly a lot more to talk about but the meeting itself it was so low-key it was amazing it was almost like they were uh saying they were sorry for uh bothering us and having you know and having us uh pay attention to this uh because you know it was a very small stage a couple of people uh mark cerny's incredibly you know soothing voice and um and and it was over in i don't know 40 minutes 
And it was it really like the communication, the official company communication language that you could um, perceive through that presentation was this is not a big deal which is surprising because it kind of is a, a shift in uh, the console world's cycles and uh, way of, of approaching generations for uh, new consoles. But they really wanted to make you feel like it's not a big marketing hoopla. There aren't, you know, uh, there isn't Eminem showing up and doing his <laughs> thing <laughs> as has happened in the past for Activision, for example. Um, so yeah, I think that was definitely worth noting. Um, do you think that it has to do a little bit with the ridiculous expectations that the community has sometimes for announcements and the reactions to change that often uh, are a backlash that they thought, well, let's let's soft pedal it so that we don't incite that backlash of you're saying it's the greatest thing ever and let me tell you why you're wrong yeah <laughs> it's well i think absolutely this is definitely part of it um they it's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of gamers that they're gonna have to uh not necessarily purchase but at least deal with a mid-generation update uh, as you know has been confirmed that the playstation pro is um i think there is also an element of no one except people at the show itself could see what it actually is. Because, of course, uh, I don't even think they broadcast it in four, in 4K. Maybe they did. Um, maybe mm. on, on YouTube and things like that it, it was. But for most people, they couldn't see the uh, 4K imagery because obviously you don't have a 4K TV. Most of us don't. And you don't have an HDR uh set so also you couldn't see that so it's very uh difficult to be selling us upgraded hardware when the main selling point is 4k and hdr and you can't see that so i think between that and the uh pill swallowing exercise um that might explain the the low low-key nature of the event uh, now, that being said, the PlayStation 4 Pro is basically what we expected. 4K capabilities for uh, display, HDR uh, as well, although the HDR came to the regular PlayStation 4 as well in a software update. Um, they mentioned they weren't trying to blur the lines between the generations and just improve this one, which to me says this is not going to be an ongoing thing. Maybe they're going to change strategies, but it's not going to be like you're going to get the PlayStation you know pro pro in four years and and it's going to still be compatible with everything before um there is going to be a playstation 5 at some point i believe although you know the the benefits of keeping all your, the entirety of your installed base and uh upgrading the devices like this is certainly huge and Microsoft seems to be going that route. So we'll see what happens. But anyway, it does uh, 4K uh, with Netflix and YouTube, and it does 4K for games. Most of them are probably going to be upscaled, though, because the power of the device is not uh, quite enough to render everything in 4K, or you will probably have to sacrifice too much frame rate for, for it to become a regular thing um and it's going to be available november 10 for 400 bucks basically and uh, i'm going to turn to you tom i've read a lot of opinions and analysis about this and i don't think anyone seems to be settling on exactly why sony 
needed or decided to do this? Do you have like, please come to us with the definitive answer of why <laughs> they, they and we needed the PlayStation 4 Pro? Because I don't get it. Yeah, I, I, I don't have a definitive answer too, but I look at this as a very smart move. And, and I see it as very similar to what Microsoft is doing uh, with the Xbox Scorp- Project Scorpio, which is to say uh, we, are, we are realizing that unlike 3D TVs, 4K TVs are going to be a real upgrade path for people. And we want to take advantage of it. We want to get in front of it. It makes a little more sense for Sony, uh, which is involved more directly in the TV business broadly. But, but, but to be honest, the game side of Sony doesn't care about that. What they care about is the, is the gamers who want to play the best possible resolution that they can. And, and they think that they can provide that. The, the tricky bit here is risking the wrath of people saying, hold on, you're upgrading my console and trying to say, no, you're, no, we're not. You can still play all the games on the PS4 you own. You don't have to upgrade. This is merely for people who are going to get a 4K TV or maybe an HDR TV, although your original PS4 will be able to do HDR as well. So, you know, they, they're bending over backwards to say, all we're doing is coming up with a version that adds one component, uh, 4K gaming and, and 4K video as well. Uh, and, and that's all it is. And we're not going to change to a PC model where you're constantly going to be upgrading. And that's, that's honestly why I agree with you that I don't think either Microsoft or Sony are moving to a phone model of console gaming because it would be too hard to do the backwards compatibility that one of the big advantages of a console over pc gaming is you don't have to constantly tweak settings and and worry about components to say oh well wait a minute not all my games are going to be compatible if i don't have the latest and greatest hardware uh and 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 i don't think sony and microsoft are willing to give that up yet at the same time, they're both sort of searching around for a little more flexibility so they don't have to wait 10 years between adding things like 4K. 4K is kind of their test case of can we add a feature and still maintain that cycle? I think, yeah, I think that's a key element of it. The, the 4K, it would have been silly and unnecessary if they had come up with 4K devices four years ago, uh, both of them. It was really not needed. Um it is needed now, maybe next year. It's going to definitely be a, 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 not only an advantage, but a uh, necessity. And we're going to be talking about, in just a second, the fact that the PlayStation 4 doesn't have a 4K Blu-ray drive and what that means uh, for that industry. But in the meantime, I think the reason there isn't a one definitive reason for why we needed the PlayStation. I'm, I've taken up to calling it the PlayStation. Why? That, <laughs> I think that works. Um, but it, it's, um, yeah, it's silly yeah, because I'm silly. Um, it, it, it's because there is no one reason. It's, I think it's a somewhat different approach from Sony and Microsoft. Uh, for Sony, they were thinking a number of different things. 4K, I think, was one reason, one element. It was like, well, we need a 4K device because 4K is going to become common. So we need to upgrade the console anyway. Also, when we launched uh, those uh, consoles four, three years ago, 
they were kind of the on the lower end of the PC power scale at that time, which usually new consoles are on the higher end. So I think they needed, they wouldn't say no to an upgrade in power uh, as well. Uh, they also, I think, want to find a reason for selling you the, a, a, a console at the uh price that the console was introduced at when it was first launched, but they also want to reduce the price. So a solution is to have two different models, of course, because they want to be able to sell you the 400 bucks console um, for a while longer and not wait, as you were saying, another four years to to put out another one that they're going to they're going to be able to sell you for a slightly higher price. Um, there there's uh, I mean, all of these put together make for a somewhat compelling, you know, addition of reasons, even though you can't pinpoint one specifically. And especially when you look at the price of the uh, 500 uh, gigabytes slim model, it's 300 bucks, right? But if you look at the one terabyte uh, storage, which is, you know, a lot more comfortable, it's not quite absolutely necessary, but it's a little bit more comfortable, you have to pay 200, uh, 350 bucks. And the Pro is at 400 bucks. This is almost to the level of impulse buy. You know, from the cheapest to the highest uh, to the most expensive, it's 100 bucks. When you're already spending 300 or 350, it's it's kind of easy to think, well, you know, it works as an upsell for Sony. Um, so I think there's some things there. Of course, people, not everyone who bought the, the original one is going to change immediately. But once you get a 4K TV, I think a lot of people might think, well, all right, whatever, I'll get it. Um, because, you know, if you're the kind of uh, uh, adult working uh, person with a little bit of disposable income for a 4K TV in the next year or two, probably you could have enough money for a new uh, PlayStation as well. So, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I think one of the things that's easy to fall into the trap of when, you, when you're considering this, especially with consoles, is uh, kind of in your head modeling it as the PS4 comes out and everyone buys one and then waits for the next model. And then it's like, well, do I need to upgrade? And that's not the way it is. Sales are consistent throughout the life of the product. And famously, I remember how the PS2 continued to be the top-selling console long after the PS3 came out. I think that that part of the cycle has changed. And what Sony's targeting here isn't, okay, all of you who bought PS4 on launch day, we now have the PS4 Pro for you. I think that's part of it. But it's also, we know that people are constantly adding a console, constantly buying consoles from us. We don't see PS3 sales continuing as strong into the late life cycle as PS2 sales did. So we need to come up with a way to serve that end of the market. And that's the PS4 Slim. And we want to serve that higher end who wants a little more latest and greatest, who maybe never has upgraded to the PS4. And that's the PS4 Pro. The The demand remains fairly consistent throughout the life cycle it's whether you're serving the right product up at any given time that leads to the higher or lower sales right and i think this is also uh showing that there is no one absolutely convincing reason that will make you think oh right of course that's why they put out the playstation for pro it's an accumulation of of different you know 
soft reasons, I would say. Um, I do think, however, that Microsoft with the Scorpio is having a slightly different approach because you mentioned maybe they're gonna, they're not gonna be, uh, you know, we're, oh, they're gonna have different generations in, in four or five years. I, I think Microsoft is seriously considering the idea of making this into a PC-like architecture without the, the drawbacks, uh, of, setting your different settings to something that can run on your device because it's more of the uh, very much discussed phone model where you just have different you know arc- not architectures but different models that and but the games know what model they're running on so you don't have to tweak mm-hmm. the settings and one thing that's interesting with the Scorpio is that um, it is going to be significantly more powerful than the PlayStation 4 Pro, uh, if the rumors are to be believed. Um, so what we had with the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One was 1.4 teraflops for PlayStation 4, 1.3 teraflops for the Xbox One. Um, this means, you know, a significant, uh, 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 lead for the PlayStation 4 in power, in row power. Of course, you know, row power doesn't mean much, but since these devices have basically a very similar architecture, it does translate into um, actual gra- graphical capabilities to an extent. Um, the PlayStation 4 Pro is at about 4 teraflops. PlayStation uh, Xbox One Scorpio is at 6 teraflops. So we have a 50% increase in power from the PlayStation Pro to the Xbox One Scorpio. And it seems to me that Microsoft is thinking we sort of have lost the lead a little bit on on this generation and we're not going to make it back so let's do a quantum leap i mean if you take the xbox one and the xbox one scorpio the 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 xbox one scorpio is more than four times more powerful than the xbox one where the playstation 4 pro is about two times more powerful Uh, microsoft has been uh attacking sony at every occasion saying uh we will be able for many of our games to have native 4k rendering which is different from what the PlayStation Pro seems to be doing in many cases, which is uh, 1080 rendering with 4K upscaling. And that is going to show in the quality of the thing. So I think Microsoft is thinking, we're going to do something that is a little bit more akin to a new generation in, in uh, you know, with the shift to the Xbox Scorpio, it's going to be, this is the new, they're going to go much stronger on the messaging. It's not going to be low key, I think. Well, and that's going to be tricky for them. And I'm curious to see how much they lean into that. They made a big deal, Microsoft did, about how your Xbox One will play all the same games as Project Scorpio. It's just a, a matter of, of how they're rendered, et cetera. Like you're saying, they're, they're promising the idea of, hey, you have an iPhone 5 or an iPhone 7, all the apps still run. But anybody who has an iPhone 5 can tell you, technically, <laughs> so they, perhaps they do, uh, but with difficulties and crashes sometimes uh, and features that don't work. And I wonder if Microsoft really has a good plan for addressing that if they go down that road. I still think we have an Xbox One series of hardware and then eventually there is a new generation of Xbox hardware where they can draw a line and say, okay, uh, this is like the 360 was to the Xbox One now where we have games that will only be available for this new generation. Because, And, and, I, and I think you've rightly identified Microsoft 
is willing to take this to a little more of a PC model because they also have the cross-platform Windows idea. I mean, the Windows running on Xbox is uh, supposed to be the same Windows that is running on your PC. And so you can play games on your PC or you can play games on Xbox. So it is to their advantage to blur those lines a little bit because they want to make that one big Microsoft Xbox universe no matter what device you're using. Uh, And it's going to be a trick to then maintain a clear definition of, of what you're getting when you buy a particular xbox and not frustrate people who who are unclear like wait a minute i have an xbox one and this game says xbox one but it doesn't really run right because i have an xbox one launch edition instead of you know project scorpio 2 or whatever is down the line yeah. um we've we've taken on my french show uh, to calling the next one pro, uh, score, uh, xbox one squiddo because squids <laughs> you know octopus eight 8K, the next generation of, ah, of TVs. I like it. I think Xbox One Squiddo is going to be the one. I can't wait for Xbox One Squiddo. <laughs> but I do agree. The old one. <laughs> Xbox uh, One Cthulhu. Yeah, exactly. The ancient ones. Um, I, I do think at some point there's, there's going to be a cutoff, though. Even if, if I think Microsoft might be willing to go more down the, the route of, you know, infinite upgrades i do think at some point they're going to say well the first xbox one you might not you know uh want to run these latest games from 2020 on it uh and there is going to be a cutoff point but um all right to to close off the playstation why chapter um the the Blu-ray drive. No 4K Blu-ray drive on the PlayStation Pro. This is like I think this was this was the most WTF moment in video games in a in a somewhat maybe since the the Wii U's controller. Um, Wait, no Blu-ray drive or just no 4K Blu-ray? Oh, I'm sorry. I mean no 4K Blu-ray, of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is going to have a Blu-ray drive, just not it's not going to be 4K. And in a in a presentation where they spent, you know, 30 minutes telling you 4K 4k if you want a 4k uh thing then you want hours 4k tvs 4k is awesome and then afterwards you hear oh by the way it's not going to have a 4k blu-ray drive what they'll be able to stream 4k content from all those services is it is it merely a a cost-saving maneuver that bets that people aren't really going to be buying optical discs in large numbers in the future so why bother I think there's a little bit of that. I think staying under the 499 uh, price point makes it into a, an impulse buy as we were saying. If it's 449, it becomes a lot more expensive immediately. Even 429 if they have to include the 4K, the more expensive 4K Blu-ray drive. Uh, I also think however that Sony even if, you know, the the gaming division is separate from the others, does worry about standards. It is the maybe the the one company in the world that has tried to introduce the most amount of standards uh, in the media industry with more or less success, depending on the generation and time. Um, but if they wanted, I, I think if they believed that 4K Blu-ray was going to be the main way that people are going to consume 4K in the next five years, they would have included one. I think it says a lot about their outlook on that format that they didn't. Um, and I may be mistaken about this, but uh, is it possible they could firmware update that Blu-ray player to handle 4K? I mean, the the mm. machine can decode 4K, right? 
can it? Is it? A I mean, the machine laser? can play 4K streams. Oh, right, right, the, right, right. The PS4. Right. So, but does the Blu-ray laser? Is it more thin? Is it thinner? You know, for I don't know, but I'm mm. wondering. Um, I think if they could upgrade it by software, it would be mentioned, or maybe they don't want to promise it, and they're not sure. Yeah, right, I, but. But, I mean, people who are going to be making their purchase decision are going to have to make it with the, you know, information that it just doesn't play 4K Blu-ray. And I suspect it won't be able to. Well, and if you Um, remember, the current generation of consoles didn't play Blu-ray out of the box. They only played DVD. And there was a software update that brought the Blu-ray capability later oh well no not exactly it was that was a different issue they had a blu-ray drive and it was and and the reason why you had to download a player right on your on your device and the reason why was the licensing fees they would rather because they know that not everyone can not everyone uses them to play blu-ray discs and they didn't want to pay the licensing fees for every uh, device sold they only had to pay it for the those of them that did download the app to to play the Blu-ray. So, yeah, I guess to an extent it's uh, it's the same, but it wasn't a capabilities issue. It was a, a um, licensing issue, right? Right. right. Um, so I, I do think that it is a strong message saying that they think most people, I mean, they see the numbers. They know how many Blu-rays, period, are being sold. They know they're looking at the 4K market. And I don't, if they thought that 4K was going to be huge, maybe it's a chicken and egg thing as well. Maybe because the PlayStation 4 Pro is not going to have a 4K Blu-ray drive, then it's not going to help the 4K Blu-ray market as the, the other consoles, you know, the uh, PlayStation 2 helped the DVD market and PlayStation 3 helped the Blu-ray market. But, I still think they're thinking, all right, physical media is not worth it anymore. Those who really want a 4K Blu-ray drive, they're going to go buy it, buy one. Uh, but we don't need to include it here because a lot of people are going to be streaming. And I understand that some people can't because they don't have the uh, infrastructure available. But first of all, many do. And second of all, we're talking about, you know, two, three years down the line when enough people actually have a 4K TV, which is not the case yet. I think they're betting the infrastructure will be good enough for a lot of people to stream their 4K, 4K content. Yeah, it may, it may, it's a perfectly defensible argument to say 4K Blu-ray sales will be to video files. Video files aren't going to believe that the Blu-ray player in a game console is sufficient and they're going to want to buy a separate device for that anyway. So why bother putting it into the game console when the casual 4k viewers are just going to stream it anyway Mm, yeah possibly anyway so there you go that is the playstation 4 uh pro meeting and presentation uh let's move on to the tokyo game show i know a lot of people don't really care so much about the tokyo game show and to be honest it it certainly isn't where it was back when it first started about 10 years ago. I went a few times um, in the late 90s, early 2000s, and it was more important on a worldwide uh, stage than it is today. It's still very important in Japan and Asia, though. Um, It was the biggest one ever, with just a little bit over their previous record uh, from 2013, with 270 thousand visitors um back then in in the late 90s it was twice a year though can you imagine this 
270. That's one of the biggest. Well, it, it wasn't as big back then, but it's one of the biggest shows in the world. It certainly was back then, too. Um, Twice a year. Imagine if E3 was twice a year or CES. Well, CES used to be twice a year. I guess. There you go. There used to be a fall and a winter. So that used to be the thing. It was very 90s, right up there with uh, grunge music and flannel. (laughs) Having your conference (laughs) twice a year. Uh, Many people at Tokyo Game Show were listening to grunge music in flannel. Um, Well, there you go. Actually, not at all. It was always (laughs) very Japanese. Um, But there were a few interesting tidbits for sure. So um, let's go over them uh, in order of what Patrick thinks is interesting. First of all, The Last Guardian, um, of course, by the way, Almost no uh, Xbox news. The the Xbox One has been selling. I think the the weekly numbers for the Xbox One, um, the S- Xbox One sales of consoles is seriously not uh, uh, not uncommonly in the tens. They actually sell you know thirty, fifty, seventy Xbox Ones in the whole country for the week. For, so, in Japan. In yeah. Japan, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Xbox uh, 360 and Xbox, the original one, weren't big successes. But what I'm trying to say is the Xbox One basically does not exist in Japan. Although they do have their shelf space. I don't know how much they're paying the the uh, stores there to keep the shelf space. But they do. It's it's a respectable um amount of shelf space that they that they have so although um, i was in super potato a couple of weeks ago in akihabara district and that's also in the nintendo i mean and that that's a that's a used shop right right so right. that to me that represents like what are people actually caring about brand wise and i didn't see a whole lot of old xboxes on the shelves no for sure <laughs> um so right the last guardian a lot of people have tried it uh, a little bit more and for those who are waiting for this game, it's Team Ico, uh, Ico Shadow of the Colossus, those very, very, uh, fondly remembered games. Uh, well, I guess bad news, good news. Um, it feels just like those. The comment from, um, who was it? Uh, someone at Polygon, I believe. Uh, oh, Phil Kohler. There you go. Uh, was saying long article worth reading, but basically it feels like a PS2 game. Um, uh, Trico, the dog bird thing that you're trying to control acts like an actual untrained animal, which, you know, sounds fun because you're like, it's realistic. But when you're calling the thing 15 times for it to, to pay attention to you, it's not great for game mechanics. Yeah, um, having trained two dogs, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the fun is when they're trained. You train them because you have to. Well, maybe, you know, they they played about half an hour of the game. Maybe down the line you get the satisfaction of having trained yeah, them. Yeah, maybe. Eh, but, you know, the outlook isn't incredible uh persona 5 is out in japan uh so it's coming in february in in the west uh february 14 so there you go valentine's day present playing persona 5 all night with your uh (laughs) with your loved (laughs) significant other um but the first impressions are really good though so it's you know i've been talking about persona 5 for for a while now i'm really looking forward to it um I'm I'm heartened by the fact that people seem to be saying that it is a uh, good, slightly modernized version of the Persona series. So there you go. Um, 
Final Fantasy 15 has a new trailer, and I've been very hesitant on Final Fantasy 15 of late, but watching the new trailer, it seems a little bit more... How do I put this? Adult? Like, more serious. Like they're Grown up or grown mature, up, maybe. maybe mature. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was my, my concern for Final Fantasy 15. I thought it was very Japanese game tropey and it it is but it feels like there's an actual story in them in there with characters that that actually have character uh it's still just a trailer so who knows but um yeah it's coming out November 19 so not too long now just a couple of months away um and then uh there are maybe I can talk about this first uh Tekken 7 Tekken 7 is a game that I, I'm really looking forward to as well, as you know, and I say often I'm a fighting game fan. And they showed a little bit of the story mode, which cuts seamlessly between the pre-rendered or at least cinematic presentations and the fights themselves. And it looked pretty damn cool. Um, so I think there might be a, a big opportunity for Namco there with that game. And it's a good point, uh, a good occasion to remember, to remind people that Tekken is actually the one big fighting game, uh, series that has been selling the most consistently for the past couple of decades. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever played fighting games, uh, Tom, and if so, which ones you've played, but, uh. I I have been around long enough on this planet to have played a fighting game or two. It's there. I, I don't have those love for them uh, that you do. But yeah, Tekken. Maybe I've played once. I've played a lot okay. of Street Fighter, and uh, way back in the day, I played the old Mortal Kombat. I haven't played it as much recently. Right. So it it is uh, it is sort of counter perception that Tekken is is the the biggest or more popular because it, just in casual examples uh, most of the people i know will will throw street fighter out uh mm. and maybe mortal Kombat. that's it i guess street fighter was i mean it's always been very big but i think tekken has a couple of advantages uh it it the thing is tekken is popular everywhere like very popular to the le- level of a popularity of other fighting games more or less in every market um, we know that japan and europe prefers street fighter the u.s prefers mortal Kombat sales wise um, mm-hmm. so tekken is popular in both markets and i mean in all three markets and the thing is tekken is really fun when you really know how to play the game in a way that maybe tech uh, a street fighter can be but also when you're really just button mashing you can always do fun uh ridiculous stuff if you're button mashing and that means that people who are not as uh, uh good with the game can also enjoy it and so and- you're saying i should play tekken <laughs> well, maybe, yeah. Um, <laughs> actually, that's that's when I asked you the question. I was kind of hoping that that was what you were going to say, um, because really, and that's how everyone starts. You know, you pick a, a character that is a little bit easier because your friends tell you to, and you you pick, for example, Huarang, who's the the Korean one of the Korean uh, fighters, and you just mash the uh, feet buttons, and he does some crazy feet combos and like kicks and jumping, and and it's. It's amazing and you feel like you're doing something. 
Um, so I think that Tekken has a, a really interesting opportunity again with Seven, with the uh, failure of Street Fighter Five, with the botched launch and uh, mm-hmm. and things like that, and and the other games. You know, uh, King of Fighters, I love it, but it's certainly not a, a huge game. And Mortal Kombat is, you know, a, a basically a game you play for a month and then you stop. So anyway, Tekken Seven coming out. Uh, First, uh, they're saying early 2017, but then the trailer says uh, uh, summer. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, spring in Japanese. So I don't know. Well, spring could be Q2, which is still first half of 2017. So yeah, I was kind of hoping for February, but yeah, that's me. And finally, um, a couple of interesting tidbits. Uh, have you heard of Summer Lesson, which was a VR kind of concept they presented before? No, I haven't heard about this. So in pure Japanese form, uh, what they're trying for VR is the the main thing that we've seen come out of it is Summer Lesson, which is a VR experience where you either teach or uh, learn from a female um, uh, uh, you know, teacher or you teach a female uh, student English with everything that you can imagine a Japanese game would be in that context. So basically you can, uh, you're in one room or, you know, maybe a house and you can get up, walk around, look at the person you're, <laughs> that's your student. Uh, and I don't think it goes quite to the uh, inappropriate level, but it's certainly uh, uh, an awkward sure. Uh, Neither one of you are an octopus, so. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Maybe in higher levels you develop. Yeah, yeah. Um, But no, I think it's just it's just that level of weird, awkward Japanese Japanness that Mm -hmm. comes through in this thing, and it's very interesting that this is what they go to with uh, the opportunity of doing VR. And interestingly, it's not just that. There's uh, what we saw at the Tokyo Game Show was Happy Manager. Um, which is basically a, a, a different take on Summer's Lessons core concept with you being the manager of a uh, house and you have three tenants, female tenants, of mm. course, and you have to manage the house. And they, at, in this one, it seems like it goes a little bit deeper in the awkward thing with them going to the pool and you can go in the pool with them or look at them in different situations in the house. And so it's Terrace House. Basically, except a little bit more voyeuristic yeah, uh, yeah. than Terrace House. For those who don't know, Terrace House is a uh, Japanese uh, reality TV show that Tom and I have been watching, which is illuminating for social relationships <laughs> in Japan. Definitely. Um, and a lot less voyeuristic than our uh, reality TV shows. They they are incredibly uh, respectful, I think, in that uh, in that show. Right, and so Happy Manager lets you transcend that boundary. <laughs> it sounds like, <laughs> yeah, possibly. Uh, Terra's House available on Netflix, by the way. Um, and the other thing I wanted to talk about because we have to be, you know, fair, and I don't want to say fair and balanced because that evokes <laughs> other kinds. Well, of... Well, that's uh, a trademarked yeah. uh, phrase of another network. Exactly. <laughs> Is it trademarked? I imagine it is, yeah. Yes, maybe. Um, so we are uh, uh, fair and honest. Um, do you know what Otome games are? 
I will shortly. <laughs> so basically, otome means uh, maiden. And I, I basically discovered this in uh, a video report from a French uh, website that I really enjoy. They do quality reporting, which is in short supply in, in the uh, journalist, in the world of journalism today. Uh, it's called Game Cult. And they had this report on Otome games, which are games made for, uh, women, young women, but not necessarily even young, which are, seduction games where they have to uh, seduce or be seduced by men and it, there it's titles like love bella uh, ballad and uh, ikemen battle ikemen is like good looking awesome like studs um and it's it's so i'm so sad that this report is only in french because it is so Japanese and, and shows you so much about Japanese society and culture. Um, the kind of thing that you have is um, you have a, a, an office where you're working late and your boss, uh, you're always a female, of course, the player, and the boss is a man and he's relatively young and very good looking, comes to you and says, you know, you're working late and you're like, hey, should we uh, take the, the train together? Except there's no train and he comes very close to you. And they have these, a lot of women at the Tokyo Game Show were queuing um, to have the equivalent of the game's experience with actors that would show up, they would be sitting at the desk and the man would show up behind them and come inappropriately close to so their So like an IRL face. version of these games. Basically, yes. And I'm not going to go into too much detail, it would, but it's, it is amazing that these things exist. I don't know if it's good or bad. I think it, it's an indication of the awkwardness of social relationships in, in Japan but um, it's very funny that the, the the male version is, you know, slightly inappropriate in the sexual way. And I think these ones are also in a somewhat sexual way, but it's more of the thrill of the uh, forbidden social situation, not really mm -hmm. looking at boobs and possibly brushing against them. And the women, you know, the young woman going like, Oh, what are you doing? It's more like the, the man coming close from behind and speaking in your ear. And you're like, Oh my God, what's happening? You know, it's, it's super interesting and i i loved that report uh and if you want to check those out uh there's actually a company may, maybe more but there's a company called oko uh okko that edits these games in other markets they are at least in france and i'm guessing they they might be in the in the us as well so check them out they are uh free to play i believe most of them and it's super interesting so there you go that was my my uh, interesting moments of uh japan your your uh, your, your otome re revelation yeah yeah <laughs> exactly and it's and 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 there may be people in the audience who who hear these in a little bit of shock uh and and all i would say is you're dealing with a totally different set of cultural assumptions uh, going into these games depending on where you're from uh, and so things that probably uh, offend you about the idea of these games are not the things that offend people in japan or even elsewhere uh, so it's it's kind of hard to wrap your head around all of this you know coming from from whatever perspective you were raised in 
Yeah, I mean, the 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 VR ones, the ones that are geared toward men, I think are more offensive. Although they're not, you know, it, there are a lot of Japanese video games that are plainly offensive, like women in in tiny bikinis that are for some pretense doing something else but the real reason is that you want to watch their boobs jiggle when they're mm-hmm. jumping and and hitting a a, a a ball but the the these ones are not that far but they're certainly in the <laughs> boob looking boob peeping uh category the otome ones aren't quite as in the offensive category they're, they're well, really just if you were you know. to come up with an offensive category it would be the inappropriate work relationship category like the, the thing that strikes me when you start to describe it is oh this is the kind of thing i see in sexual harassment training right right, right. <laughs> yes of course and, and clearly this is like the forbidden fantasy area yeah, yeah. of it which is you know what makes it exciting but um it was interesting it was um katsuhiro harada who is the producer behind Tekken, who's also, uh, Namco is the company uh, publishing or developing Summer Lessons. So that's where it came from. I believe he worked on it as well. And he was saying, you know, you Westerners don't understand Japan and this is something that is, uh, you know, in our culture and you shouldn't come and judge. And, and you know, I've lived in Japan a long time. I understand all of this and I understand, you know, the the cultural differences Hopefully, people listening to me know that I'm not the kind to judge indiscriminately. Uh, I do also want to mention that there is a point where you you slip into cultural uh, relativism. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the yeah, term. Yeah, cultural is relativism. Relativism. Exactly. Thank you. Um, where you start you start excusing everything because it's just a different culture. Right. And I'm not saying you know we should go in Japan with with. Uh, Spike, uh, pikes and, and forks. Is it pikes? No, um, stuff. Uh, oh, pitchforks, pitchforks and forks as well. They don't, they only yeah, use don't chopsticks. So don't, yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, with pitchforks and, and, and demand that they, they, uh, uh, treat women better. But, you know, they do have issues in that department in the country, in Asia in general, I think in Japan in particular. And that shouldn't be discounted either entirely uh, when you talk about these things. You can't say, well, it's just different, so it's fine. Um, so, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. That's why I phrased it the way I did, which is the things that are wrong about it may not be the things that you assume right away. That doesn't right, mean there right. aren't things wrong with it or, or are. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, either way, I think those examples are pretty tame examples and quite frankly, amusing examples of all of this. If there's something to get up in arms about, it's probably not not those ones. Um, So there you go. Now you know Otome Games and uh, they are very interesting. Let's talk about Apple. Um, So I'm not even sure. Actually, you were on holiday too. I guess you didn't see the Apple uh, uh, keynotes either the, i the did not watch it no i followed it on twitter I, which is frankly a better experience i'll tell you exactly <laughs> what i did is I, I sort of kept an eye on it on twitter and when i knew it was done i sat down and i read one article from TechCrunch, which told me everything i needed to know without <laughs> having to sit through the marathon announcement I, I kind of commend sony for being very straightforward in their announcement and saying this is what it is done uh versus the dog and pony show that most other companies want to put the press through well, you know, I, on most 
Although, no, I was going to say most of the time I would agree with you, but honestly, I do enjoy it. It's kind of my, those keynotes from all of the companies, be they, you know, Apple, uh, Google, Microsoft, all of them. It's kind of my sporting event. I watch uh-huh. them the way other people watch a baseball game or it's like, it's like, yay, now it's party time because I'm going to watch this silly marketing fest where, where I don't know, for it brings me um, a certain amount of, of joy and excitement. I don't know why, but... Um, Maybe if they did them on Saturday or Sunday, I would, <laughs> I would feel more like that. Get a beer and yeah. uh, some, some naturals and... Uh, yeah. Totally. So, it, but I think in this case, in the first 15 minutes, there was definitely something that made it worth it. As many people know now, um, Tim Cook starts talking about video games and how, you know, the, the apps, uh, if gaming apps are super important for them and Certainly, they represent the largest part of their revenue in the App Store. And I was thinking, all right, there we go. They're going to say they love games and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, they stop and they're like, and today we have a special guest. And Miyamoto, Shigeru Miyamoto, gets up on stage. And I was covering it live in French at the time. I think it was very visible that my brain... Literally, I'm using that word very specifically, <laughs> exploded. It was an explosion in my brain of, you know, neurons firing. And I couldn't, I, I like, I couldn't speak. I couldn't, it was uh, the most unexpected thing I have ever seen, I think. And, and it was absolutely fantastic. Um, of course, on this show, I don't really have to explain who Miyamoto is, I'm guessing. Uh, maybe for the few of you that don't know, a legendary uh, creator of Mario, Zelda, the, the biggest creative force at Nintendo that itself is an incredible uh, game design and uh, creative force in the industry. So, And he announced um, Super Mario Run, which have ha- has had mixed reaction i'll tell you what i think but i'm curious as a uh, casual gamer but more into the tech side of things what did you think of that super mario run announcement uh i i think it's probably good for both sides obviously nintendo uh did okay with their with their me uh game and Pokemon Go, they get to live in the halo of because they're involved with the Pokemon company so so directly. Uh, but everybody, when Nintendo said we're going to be bringing games to mobile, wanted to see Mario. Uh, so they have to do this. And I think that it, the jury is out whether this will be a game that people absolutely love until they can actually play it on on io on ios but it's it's the right next step i think if they had done something else people would have started to convetch about the fact that oh well, nintendo's not really bringing their good properties this is not a serious thing for them so they kind of had to do it obviously apple gets the benefit of saying look at us we have the best games because nintendo is entrusting mario to our platform so to to me it's it's the right message for both of them it's easy then to pick at particularly nintendo and say well yeah but is this really a mario game and it didn't you know it didn't look like it was the mario game that i wanted i i don't think you can really say that until you start playing it I, you know, that's interesting. I, a lot of people have been saying this about, oh, but it's not really the Mario game I wanted. And I want to come back to that in a second. Um, the the, the uh, Pokemon Go 
relationship is really interesting too because they have just crossed uh, 500 million revenue which makes them an average revenue per user. I'm talking about Pokemon Go now. Uh, an average revenue per user of $1, which is in- incredible. That's from uh, the analyst firm App Annie. Um, it's amazing. It's three times faster than Candy Crush, seven times faster than Puzzle Dragon and Clash of Clans. Now, I, I do think that it's going to uh, go back down a lot faster than these other properties, but still... It is definitely something that is going to have an influence on the industry as a whole because people are going to be chasing that money for a a long time. The funny thing is, I still don't think they're going to get it. I think this was lightning in a bottle and it's not going to be. I agree with you. I also don't think it will go down as fast as maybe we think because... I I agreed and I was not surprised when the player numbers went down. But the one thing that I, I didn't really wrap my head around early on was Pokemon Go succeeds not by the number of players, but by the number of players who pay. And those are the people who are going to continue to go out there and collect Pokemon and be driven by the collection aspect of the game. Uh, my wife, for instance, still playing the game regularly. Uh, she's the one that reminds me to play because she's really caught up in the aspect of collecting them. And they've done a good enough job of doling out the ones that she hasn't seen before, or hatching them out of eggs, uh, that, that it's keeping her interested. And they've got more features coming they're talking about maybe doing some combat features or expanded combat features if they can continue to keep that core happy and give them reasons to buy more pokeballs uh and buy more aspects of the game i i think there's a chance they can keep that revenue up yeah i mean certainly not the amount of revenue they're having now but yeah it's i do think the the uh the the playing population is going to diminish severely uh, but now I'm thinking they might still be making a lot more money yeah. than I gave them credit for in the beginning. Their average sure. revenue per user could rise yeah. because of the decline of the casual players. Mm. Yeah, possibly. Um, and there's also a story about uh, them disabling the game on rooted phones, which <laughs> because they they were being used for cheating and stuff like that. But legitimate players who installed it and spent money on their phones that happen to be rooted for, you know, there there are a million reasons to do it, are understandably not happy. So I'm not sure how they're going to handle it. They want a refund. Maybe they're, they're I don't think they're going to refund everyone, though. Well, no. Um, I mean, if they are taking the perspective of uh, rooted phones violate our terms of service, they're not. They, then they can't also give them refunds uh, for that. But I also understand where someone who didn't do any kind of possible cheating on Pokemon Go just happened to have a rooted phone for entirely unrelated reasons. There was really no clear warning, uh, other than right. very deep in the terms of service, that they were doing anything wrong. And, and it it's a clumsy way of trying to go after cheaters for sure yeah i mean it's definitely i don't know how they're gonna handle it but um so anyway getting back to super mario run um so first of all the game is also going to be available on android at a later time um and it is a uh it's not a freemium game i've seen a lot of reports of people saying you know it's a free to play and technically Yes-ish, because you're going to have the game available for free and you can play, you know, two, three levels and then you pay once to get the entire game. So the way I look at it is not a free-to-play because when you say free-to-play, it implies a very different business model. It, it 
usually implies infinite payments, meaning you're going to pay to get something, but it's going to deplete, and then you're going to have to pay again. Or at the very least, many different uh, opportunities to pay for something. Uh, in this case, maybe there are going to be some, some additional cosmetic stuff in the future, but the core game is entirely here from the beginning. So the way I look at it is basically a demo that you can try, yeah. and then you can pay for the full game. It is very different. Um, it's a free trial. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than, I mean, it is technically a free to play game, but it's not free to play. Like you're saying, is yeah. we generally mean that to use something like Pokemon Go, right? Where exactly. it's free, exactly. free to play forever. So, uh, yeah, it, it is sort of slicing it thin. It, it's an interesting way to do it because we're not really used to that. That is that is not the way most games are put out there. It, the one that immediately came to mind was Atari when they did the Atari Twenty Six Hundred app where it was free to play one or two games, then you could either buy individual cartridge emulations within the iOS app or pay $9.99 to get all of them. Right. Yeah, which which is a little bit closer to that as well. But um, So definitely Mario is the big one. And, oh, actually, I wanted to ask, uh, what do you think the price is going to be? $9.99. Oh, we agree. Really? Yeah. I, I yeah. ran a... Um, a, a quick Twitter poll uh, when the the thing was first announced, and a lot of people I think are are smoking something. Thirty five percent of the people said it was going to be under five bucks. There is no way they will make it under five bucks. No way. Um, if if it was pay to play, if it was the only way to pay it, then five bucks might be your entry price. But if giving you free levels, I yeah. think yeah, it's ten dollars to unlock. Um, a third of the people are saying between five and, and nine ninety eight. Uh, mm. I think that's a little bit more likely, but still. Uh, and twenty uh, percent are saying nine ninety nine, and thirteen percent are saying ten dollars or more. I think ten dollars mm. or more is stretching it. But the reason is, everyone. I mean, not everyone, but a lot of people are going to be buying it, and they can always reduce the price later. They can't yeah. increase the price <laughs> uh, later. That does unless they do a promotion initially. Initially, but they, 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 if they were selling it for less than nine ninety nine, they would be leaving money on the table. And it can be, you know, the holiday is going to come around. It's coming out in December. The holidays are going to come around. They can do special prices, special promotions, whatever. Nine ninety nine is the price I'm betting on. Yeah, I the lowest I could see it be was would be like seven ninety nine. For yeah, yeah, for, I, at, at the not lower than that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the reason I think it is going to be nine ninety nine and it's going to sell like hotcakes is that, and we're getting to the core, the crux of the real question we want to ask here on the gaming show: Is this a real Mario game? Um, and honestly, I think it might be very close. When you look at it, if you have ever played a 2D platform platformer Mario game, um, when you play a level, if you decide that you want to play it really fast, you go from the start to the finish as fast as you can, timing your jumps exactly right so that you can do it without ever stopping. That is one of the ways of playing through a Mario level. And it is a genuine fun time and a challenge to do it like that time what, honored tradition yeah no it's it's absolutely a, a way of playing the game that already exists in most uh, 2d mario games in all of the 2d mario games and this 
version of it on the smartphone is exactly that or you know an interpretation on that and it feels like it's going to have enough uh uh challenge for gamers and it's not an infinite runner you know there's a beginning and there's an end uh you have to time your your jumps in a way that is very reminiscent of uh actual mario games there is elements of uh, apparently asynchronous gameplay where you can challenge your friends or random people um it seems to me like at least for me as a admittedly nintendo fan and mario fan and and miyamoto fanboy It seems to me like, from the very few images we've seen, like an actual perfect uh, uh, implementation of a smartphone version of Mario. Um, you can also play it with one hand, which Miyamoto mentioned by saying to an American audience, you can eat hamburgers with the other if you want, which I thought was a little bit culturally insensitive. But, you know, that's just me. Well, that's and, um, what we do, Patrick. I guess it is, maybe. For for us, if it was if the presentation had happened in France, they would have said a baguette or drink yeah, wine. Yeah, exactly. Or exactly like that. That's a lie. Um so yeah, no, I I I'm I might be a little bit starry eyed, but I do think it from what I've seen, it seems like a an a real smartphone Mario game. Of course you're not gonna have like the controllers the controls on the phone like to go back up and two buttons of course not that's not gonna work so i'm very very excited and i'm gonna be lining up to pay my 9.99 the day it's released for sure yeah i looking at the uh the top paid games there aren't any games that are 9.99 so i can see why people might say well look you know grand theft auto san andreas is only 6.99 how could you possibly charge 9.99 for 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 mario and and the fact is because it's mario because and i think you put it perfectly which is this is a brand new mario game and the people who want it will pay almost any price i think putting it above 9.99 just becomes ridiculous putting it at 9.99 is high but it's it's a it's it's an amount that I imagine they can get. Um, I, it'll be interesting to see if I'm wrong about that, uh, because it will tell me a whole lot about the app ecosystem. If even Nintendo doesn't think they can get ten dollars for this, because I I agree with you. I think they can. The one thing I can't find is will this be playable on the Apple TV? And I I. I assume it can't because I think they would be make I would think they would be making a point of that. Uh, but there is this sort of new cross-platform ability now, where if you buy an app on one platform uh, with iOS, just like with the iPad, it'll automatically install it there if you want it to. If there is a TV version available, it will install it there, and that becomes you know, when they if Apple wants to claim this is a console game, that that makes it more of a a, a traditional Mario experience. You know, that's a very interesting question. Uh, so first of all, there are more and more Japanese games, especially, that are coming to the app stores. Uh, I'm including the Play Store there. Uh, Square Enix has been releasing their old role-playing games and other games as well that are more in that price range, you know, of 5, 10, 15, even 20 bucks for uh, a game like Dragon Quest VII, which just came out on 3DS uh, as a remake. So there are some quote-unquote real games um, that are in that price range. It is, it, it's rare, but it does exist. But the Apple TV thing I hadn't thought about, and my instinct, my initial reaction is, oh, well, it's coming. Of course, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen at some point. But then you start entering a weird 
territory of this is becoming a, a competitor to Nintendo's home consoles. If that happens, it's not the same kind of game, but sure. I can see how they they would uh, be hesitant putting it on the Apple TV for that reason. So I don't know. Hmm. Well, anyway, I guess we'll see. Um, I I personally can't wait for uh, Mario Run. I think it's going to be a, 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 the first one of the first gamer games that I'm going to enjoy on the phone. But uh, did you pre-order it, or or do they? Uh... Yeah, they have this new thing that they uh, that they uh, uh, initially used with Mario were. You can search for it, you'll find it, and you can press the button to uh, be uh, notified when it will be available. And yes, of course, I did it. Um, it is, it, it, I'm sure I'm going to know, you know, before they notify me, but uh, I did it. I just, I can't wait. You're, are you, are, do you think you're going to get it if it's nine ninety nine? I I've signed up to be notified. Uh, you know, okay. we'll we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, All I'll right. probably pay ten dollars for it. Be honest, mm-hmm. I probably will. Yeah, and be honest, listeners, you probably will too. But you might say now, ah, no, ten dollars for a phone game now. But think about the hype that's going to surround it. You're going to be and the, there's there are social aspects to it too with the ghost uh, races and stuff like that. I think it's going to be pretty big and by the way nintendo's stock price came back up to the levels of uh the not quite the highest levels i think from pokemon go but almost or something i mean they definitely went back up which yeah there are other games coming we didn't realize it i mean we didn't suspect it was going to be there was going to be a mario announcement so soon because they mentioned their next phone games would be uh um the uh fire emblem no not fire emblem yes what oh i can't remember there, there are a couple of other games that they announced. The, the stupid little thing where you're in a town and you have to farm stuff. Animal and Crossing. There you go, that one. I'm not. My a wife fan, is very excited about that. <laughs> Many people are, just not me. And I'm sure I'm, I've insulted a few listeners here. I'm. Sorry. I now have the theme song stuck in my head just because we brought it up. Oh, can you sing it? Dun, 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 dun. That was interesting. Um, Thank you very much for that uh, interpretation of Animal Crossing. And (laughs) let's move on to... (laughs) Yeah, I like the the high pitch at the end. Welcome. Um, So, a a few more tidbits uh, before we close the show. Steam has changed uh, the way they count score uh, f- scores for games in a very interesting way. Basically, what they're doing is that they're only counting reviews and scores from people who have purchased the games on Steam and not from key resellers, uh, which we've discussed a, a number of times on the show. Um, and what that does is that basically it takes out a lot of people that might be uh, purchasing the games at a, at a much cheaper price or uh, getting the games for free uh, from uh, uh, the the developer or the publisher of the game that is encouraging them to leave a review or, you know, YouTubers, things like that. And it's it you can't really say that it's gone one way or the other. Some games are getting a much higher score than before, maybe because the people who played it didn't spend much or any money on it. So they were less invested and, and more willing to just trash it uh 
for some reason. And there are uh, the opposite case. There's the opposite case as well, where some of the scores went down for maybe the opposite reason. I just thought it was very interesting that they... they so so let me way. make sure I have this right. If you buy a key from someone, your review doesn't count. Exactly. Well, it doesn't count in the score. Right, um, in the score. Right. Uh, but if you sell a key, it doesn't mean they take your review away. No, I don't think so. No. Okay. Um, it's the average customer review score... Uh, which is now counted differently. The scores or the reviews don't go away. It's just that they don't count them in the average. Right. And, and, and again, if, if I purchase a game, I review it, my score counts in that average, even if I sell the key later. It's only if I buy a key or get a key that my score doesn't count in the average. Well, so I, you can't really sell the key later if you've used it on Steam. Um, no, that's a good point. You basically the only ones that count are the ones that were bought on Steam itself on the the Steam platform, yeah, yeah. not on a yeah. Good point. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. Then that makes sense. Yeah, if you bought it, for, if you got it for free, if you didn't pay for it, then your review isn't counted on the average score. Again. The average score, not... So our know, mutual friend that gets all the Steam games, his <laughs> reviews will never count. Exactly. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Assassin's Creed uh, has been confirmed. The Ezio Collection. Collectioni. Collection. No, that's, I collection. think that's proper. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Um, so it's coming in November for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Uh, if, you're, if you've never played uh, Assassin's Creed 2, there's your chance. You can... It's regarded as probably the high note in the in the series um by many people um recore was a big exclusive for microsoft for the xbox one and um it's not getting great reviews it's it's a a game by uh, inafune's studio the the guy behind uh, mighty number nine that was also um uh, of course, Mega Man's one of the uh, creators behind Mega Man, and uh, yeah, Recore was did, came out with not a lot of uh, marketing fanfare, and that's probably why. Apparently, it's not a great game. So sorry, people who were looking forward to it. Mm. I'm mentioning it because a few people were telling me, "Oh, but look, Recore is coming, Xbox One, yay!" and yeah, it's kind of like it's almost a, a worse version of No Man's Sky reaction because no man's sky you had people some people were very disappointed many people and some people were loving it in this case it seems there's not that second bit huh (laughs) yeah that's not good um riot announced that they have a hundred million uh, active players per month on league of legends and that is an incredible number of course, the game is free to play, so we shouldn't compare it to other games where you have to pay something to play it. But, I mean, to me, it's not that there are 100 million players playing a specific game so much as League of Legends seems like such a complicated, like, hardcore gamer game that I'm surprised there are so many people playing it on a on a monthly basis. It's still, Again, it's still free to play, but uh, I wouldn't have guessed it was 100 million. Well, it is the the one of the standards for esports, right? Uh, oh, people, well, it's the biggest game for sure. You know, so it, it, it's like saying, you know, football is a very complicated game in the United States, but because it is 
you know, the the most popular sport, you're going to see a lot of kids out there playing it. And I, I think League of Legends benefits from a, a similar attraction. Uh, it, it's fun also, right? I'm not trying to diminish that, but a lot of people see it as like, oh, I need to get into League of Legends because I have dreams of someday becoming a, you know, esports star. Whether those dreams are realistic or not doesn't matter. Yeah, no, of course. And I mean, playing with your friends is fun and all of this, but the it's just that the or the the image around League of Legends uh, is so, you know, there's so much toxicity and it's so hard to play. It's difficult to, to get into. I get, I mean, I tried, I, I, it, it was too much for me, but maybe, you know, the kids, they get it uh, a little bit more. Um, but I mean, obviously, but a hundred million, it's not just that they're, that people are getting in and, 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 uh, and trying it and stopping when you reach 100 million monthly players it means that people are are playing it all the time 100 million is a staggering number yeah and so, every month yeah 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 exactly it's not it's not 100 million accounts right some sometimes you see numbers where you see well we have that many uh accounts created or to to give you an, a, a point of comparison uh, hearthstone a very popular free to play game uh from blizzard uh, which you all know, I'm sure, uh, is uh, communicating on accounts created. And I think the latest numbers were 40 or 50 million uh, accounts created. And that is also staggering, but it's very reasonable to assume that many of the people who have created accounts have, have you know, maybe played at some point and aren't playing anymore, or maybe right. don't play, you know, on a very... Uh, the, the active monthly players would be a very different number. It wouldn't be 50 million. So 50 million is staggering. That is accounts created. League of Legends had has a, a, the double that of monthly active players. It's mind-blowing. Um, and another thing that is somewhat mind-blowing, we're getting into my you know favorite company I used to work for territory with, with Blizzard, um, is World of Warcraft. With the announcement that uh, the company has sold, Blizzard has sold 3.3 million copies on day one of uh, their latest expansion, Legion, which we talked about at length, uh, and I talk about my love for in different shows. Uh, but it's surprising because the 3.3 million is the same number as they did in their uh, biggest selling expansions in the past. And with the um, air of um, uh, loss of quality of uh, 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 the previous expansion, which a lot of people got tired f about because it was very thin content-wise, uh, because it was stretched, basically, a lot of people were thinking, well, Legion might be good, which it is, but... Is it really going to manage to bring back all the people who stopped playing? And it seems that it... I mean, the numbers of day one sales for expansions are always a fraction of the active players, right? The the lowest number we've seen in the past was five or six million. And it certainly has gone up. But even by that number, 3.3 million is a fraction of that. And I never quite understood what people were doing when the expansion comes out, how can you not want to buy it and still play the game with the previous thing? I don't... I mean, this is still day one, so it's going to keep selling, of course. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty surprising number. It's 
a big number for sure, but it's even more uh, impressive because I didn't expect them to sell that much. Well, um, it's the sixth expansion, is that yeah, right? Yeah. Of a 10-year-old game? 12 now, yeah. 12-year-old game, yeah. So 3.3 million uh, of something that old <laughs> is 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 fairly impressive. And of course, the difference with the business model is that for WoW, you have to play not to pay not only for the game itself, uh, but also a monthly subscription. So it's right, still right. Bringing, so you know. well, and to me, that's a bigger impediment than complexity. Uh, you, you know, you can argue League of Legends is a complex game to master, and one of the criticisms of World of Warcraft has been that they have dumbed it down, that they have made it easier to play, but. A bigger bigger deal for people than complexity sometimes is the fact that you have to pay fifteen dollars uh, and and every month. So getting people to get back on board of that, yeah. as well as you know, say, hey, we know some of our expansions didn't thrill you in the past, but this one will. I, I, that's impressive. And especially, you know, we mentioned this from time to time, but ten years ago, it was weird and uh unexpected to ask for people to pay a monthly subscription of you know 13 bucks to play a game but nowadays it's aliens talking it's like who what are you talking about like everyone's going free to play you're saying that you want people to pay and i think any game that would launch i've said that a few times but any game that would launch asking for a monthly subscription would be laughed out the market. Like not just the the critics or the like. No one would do it. It's just that this one has the heritage, the 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 legacy of this, which makes it acceptable for for some reason. Um, and another thing I wanted to mention: a few people have reported on another portion of the uh, press release saying that uh, the launch week uh, player concurrency has climbed to its highest point since 2010. And 2010 was uh, the time of cataclysm when the active player base came back up or reached its its highest point ever, which was tw- 12 million. So some people have interpreted this as meaning that the game had come back in uh, uh, paying subscribers, paying customers of 12 million. That is not, uh, I mean, it might be the case. I very much doubt it is the case. I think they went back up to a very impressive number, but probably not the the 12 million. Um, But what they're saying has nothing to do with that or very little to do with that. What they're saying is they're, they're talking about the number of players playing at the same time in the game, logged in um, during a specific time. And that number is as high as it had been in 2010. Which implies a higher percentage of people are playing it than in the cataclysm days so uh, people are playing it when it launched you know on the launch they they, they were yeah, yeah. logged in but it might have been uh you know let's say half of of nine million uh paying customers that were connected at the same time it doesn't mean that there are 12 million people paying for it right it also could imply that a big drop-off is coming that all the people who are going to play it uh, played it started playing it on launch day yeah, I mean, a lot of people were excited and they also had that uh, mechanic where you could play uh, the new class, the Demon Hunter, before launch day if you bought the expansion, which certainly contributed to people <laughs> paying for it, uh, which is counted in the launch day numbers, right? Launch day is everything that was purchased 
up to the day of launch. So everyone who paid for it before is counted in that number, right. as is always the case. But here you just had a more compelling reason to do it with the new class. Um, and the drop-off, I mean, it's been the case for the past few expansions that a lot of people come back, play for a month or two, or two go through the leveling process, and then drop off, uh, which... Blizzard understands, and that's why they've been steadily increasing the price of the expansion to become basically the price of a full game now. It's it's almost what it is. So when they're putting out an expansion, they're getting the revenue they would be getting for a full-priced game, more or less, which wasn't the case a few expansions ago, three or four expansions ago. An expansion cost 40 bucks, I think. Now it's... I can't remember the price, but um, the price is definitely higher than that so mm-hmm. um and uh, lastly we're talking about blizzard uh, and around blizzard uh, you might remember that rob pardo one of the key people in the company um left the company a couple of years ago um there was some... i remember where i was when that news broke because oh, really? we were sitting in the mexican restaurant in snowbird resort at nerdtacular and I saw it on Twitter and told you, did you hear this? And I think you were still possibly still working for Blizzard at the time. Uh, yeah, it was the the end of my tenure there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I knew about it and I couldn't talk about anything. But um, it it is a momentous, it was a momentous event for Blizzard in the... So... It, we talked about it on the instance, and uh, uh, Mark, I, this is, I'm just explaining that it's not me saying it, but uh, Terpster said that some people have been saying he was let go uh, after the issues with uh, Titan, the big project that was uh, supposed to sort of replace World of Warcraft for a while, and that sunk in many, many millions of dollars, we're assuming. And that never amounted to anything that was cancelled and uh, from the ashes of which came Overwatch. Um, and so Pardo left, maybe of his own volition, maybe because he was asked to leave. And now, uh, two years later, which sounds like very, very much like a non-compete uh, amount of time, a non-compete close, uh, he announced the creation of a new uh, studio along with other Blizzard's alumni? Yeah, that's the plural. That's right. right. Yeah. That's the singular and plural. So alumni, um, a number of people, including um, Nick Carpenter, who is who was the vice president of art and cinematic development, which is basically art at Blizzard, um, a bunch of other people, and uh, Josh Mosquera, who was who is the person who came in and transformed Diablo 3 into Diablo 3 Reaper of Souls, which is regarded by most people as a, a, you know the saving of that uh, of that game very successful thing and the reason i'm talking about it bonefire studios is not the first studio or product being announced and managed and created by ex blizzard employees and every time i saw those things happen before I would roll my eyes a little bit. I would think, you know, yeah, that game is coming out by ex-Blizzard employees, but really, is it like, because the guy that was, I mean, except for Bill Roper, who created the Diablo franchise and went out to do Hellgate London, which I think proved that Blizzard is not about one creator, but about the company 
probably that Moheim is managing to manage it in a successful way. One creator is not going to manage to recreate that magic um, because Hellgate London was not a success and not a good game. Um, so I'm usually very wary of this is a game created by X Blizzard employees. This one, I think, is different. I might be mistaken, but there are a lot of X Blizzard teams. This one, I think, is an All Stars team, which we're, I'm gonna, definitely going to be keeping an eye on very closely. So you're saying it, it sounds like it has a better chance. I mean, just putting talent together, even an all-star team, doesn't necessarily mean you will have the best team. I mean, you see that in sports too. You Sometimes all-star teams don't play well together. And so you need to have that organization and, and, and those other intangible aspects of it. But it sounds like you're looking at this with the lens of someone who has, you know, been following these folks very closely and in some cases you know worked in the same company with them and saying yeah they they might gel they might gel into something special uh, yeah I, I i think so um especially since rob pardo is just one person is not just one person that worked at blizzard it's it's hard to to overstate how important he was in the company you know he was the guy behind warcraft 2 3 world of warcraft is his brainchild he is the main force behind that game uh, and remained the main force for the first two expansions I think before he went, uh, he went off to do uh, Project Titan. So, if the rumors are true, I think he might have become a little bit bullheaded with Titan. And I'm guessing that if that's the reason he was let go, and again, I have no specific knowledge of this, but if that's the reason he was let go, I think he might have become obsessed with it, and he wanted to. He had invested so much of the company's uh, resources into it that he wanted to make something out of it and he wanted to save it. And I'm guessing that at some point, someone came to him and said, listen, the, we have to stop it. And he's, he put his head and hands and job on the line. And he said, mm. give me another year. I'll whip, it into sh- I'll whip it into shape. I'll make something out of it. Trust him. Uh, trust me. And the reason people trusted him is because he was Rob Pardo. And when it didn't work out, you know, he had to pay up, basically. And yeah, that's why, right. why he was let go. So I think this might be a very costly mistake, but it doesn't mean that he's not a, a, an incredible uh, game designer and game producer. So when you have someone with that pedigree, one very costly mistake admittedly incredibly costly probably um doesn't transform your entire uh ability to create games and and, and he's now learned from that mistake you know, of course. That. yeah basically that's the kind of thing where before that incident managing your own, own company might be a disaster but after you you know what can happen if you if you get into uh i don't know if that's what happened but you know creator diva mode and thinking ah oh, i the, the the evil money people don't want to let me realize my vision sure you do need the producers and the managers and those people over your head to tell you at some point to just stop either you know it's done or it's never going to be so uh, and finally, uh, again, uh, you know, it's another piece of Blizzard news, but Blizzard is one of the biggest uh, developers and publishers in the industry. So that kind of news is important for the industry as a whole. Uh, Chris Metzen has decided to retire uh, 
unlike what seemed like uh, uh, you know uh, uh, for Pardo uh, uh, unwanted retirement that he would come back to the industry in the future uh, in this case to spend time with his uh, wife and child. He has other children, but a newborn child. Uh, and, you know, he's 42, and he's been doing this for 20-some years, um, and he's retired. And that's a significant impact for the company. Well, I don't know a significant impact, but certainly he has shaped the storytelling of the company in a way that is pretty much unheard of in any other company um it's easy i don't know what do you think about the storytelling and and lore and stories of lizard games because it's i mean i, I don't know I, I don't know if you're following them if you're following them very closely but um, i i do actually the lore is one of my favorite aspects of the world of warcraft and, and warcraft itself uh and, and you're I, a big fantasy and sci- science fiction fan you know in general so I'm curious how you compare, you know, that kind of lore and the more traditional. Yeah, I haven't read the books uh, in in Warcraft, although I've been meaning to uh, for a long time. I, I haven't dug into that, but when I play the game, I read the quest text. I'm I'm that guy, so I've, I'm I'm into the stories being told, and I, and I think they're for for the medium that they're in very compelling there there's certain things that have to be shortcutted to you know to make a good cutscene and make a good game uh when you're you're dealing with the infrastructure that you have with World of Warcraft but I love the themes uh that Chris Metzen has encouraged I assume that those will continue I I don't I don't feel like this is a thing where oh when Chris Metzen leaves suddenly everything is a departure and they go off in different directions but at the same time You've had this person as the touchstone for what actually happened in this imaginary world, and you will no longer have that. And so it'll be interesting to see how this story evolves going forward and whether those themes of, of family and, and betrayal uh, that have really pervaded all of the lore of Warcraft and, and Azeroth uh, will evolve and mutate well we get some new things uh that yeah. that that chris metzen would have never uh not allowed but but just would not have fit into his vision of this we will it take a turn well the no more redemption stories basically <laughs> yeah yeah i mean and, and um, the, i feel i feel personally like they've been very good redemption stories it's it's easy to pick on something for being a trope but all stories are tropes it's all a matter of whether they are executed in an interesting way or not yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And uh, again, for those who have listened to the instance, they might hear me repeat some of the things I've said there. So I apologize. But the way Metzen approaches fantasy and science fiction is, I think, really interesting and somewhat unique. Uh, on a surface level, it's very easy to think, well, it's not very imaginative. He takes things, he doesn't invent incredible things. I think he does. But when you look at some of the uh, traditional worlds of fantasy, there are more fantastical, different, you know, stories and worlds. And and you get the hardcore fans of these uh, books, I'm talking about books mostly, that will know all of the, you know, 
three trilogies where things, you know, there's arcane language that you don't really understand if you don't know the books and, uh, you know, uh, different races and different uh, languages and all of those. And there is some of that in Chris Metzen's, in, in Blizzard's uh, fantasies, but it's usually things that you know and tropes that are common anchor points for a wide public to to hang on to that are slightly twisted like i i there are many of those but one of the ones i remember was how weird i thought when i first jumped into world of warcraft i knew the warcraft franchise but in world of warcraft i i started playing a night elf and i thought the night elves were weird elves why would you come up with this you know, with this different kind of elves. We have elves. We know what they are. Why would you do something different? And after a while, you just start treasuring that slight difference. And and you can't imagine, like, it's what makes it a little bit more specific and a little bit more interesting. And you treasure it. Like, if if it was just regular elves, it would be less... Uh, uh, less... Uh, um, iconic, I guess. And... Warcraft has these things everywhere. They, I read an article a long time ago where they said what Blizzard does is they take a, a, a duck and change what one letter in the name, hopefully not the D into an F, but like they change yeah. the U into an A, an A and they make a DAC and they they have like a, 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 a longer beak and all of a sudden it's their version of a duck. And they do that all the time. It's easy to think it's not original, but when you dive into it, uh, all of the games have very deep, interesting stories. Like Diablo, for example, is exactly a story of, um, you know, a, a Christian interpretation of good and evil with variations again they always do but he finds little nooks and crannies and and things to explore and expand on that make them um into something different and i guess what i'm trying to say is this is a unique approach to fantasy and science fiction storytelling where when people usually try to go to the alien to the different and to the extreme of something that will make you go in a different place. What Metzen and Blizzard did or do is taking what's familiar and twisting it into something different and, and fun. And I think that's very unique to them. And, uh, and I don't think it's going to change. He has sort of imprinted his DNA into the company now. Um, but yeah, so that's my, the way I look well, at well, it. I think one of the things you do in a video game is world build at the expense of story. Because you need the story to be loose enough that the player is the agent in it. This, that, that's very different than writing a novel where the reader is in the mind of the main character, but the main character makes all the choices. So one of, you know, one of the criticisms of the story of, of the world of Warcraft is, is that the story isn't as strong. And that's on purpose. You, you need to have that, that looseness in the story so that you feel like, yes, General, you are an effective part of this. Uh, and, and the world is what's important. And I think that's what Metzen did very well was create a world that felt consistent and believable 
uh, so to speak, as far as anything in fantasy is ever believable, uh, so that you felt like, yeah, I've really been transported to another world. And and you get excited when things that you learned early in the game are referenced later because you're like, oh, yeah, I've been there. I saw I saw that devastation. I know what they're talking about. And it's, you know, that's absolutely the core of the game elements of the lore. But there's also another level of the what I like to call the... Uh, <laughs> grown-up version of the story and the lore, which is the books and sometimes the comics, but mostly the the, the books, which is uh, uh, closer to what we've, we usually see in fantasy and science fiction, um, but that has more of a uh, coherent storyline and traditional storyline, which bleeds into the games, but all of these, all of these and this is kept coherent together between the comics and the uh, animated shorts and the game and all of it kept together into honestly i for world of warcraft warcraft the warcraft universe especially you know there would be enough threads and epic characters and adventures in there to write 10 lord of the rings trilogies it is there are so many threads in there and so many different elements that it it, it becomes this this incredibly rich galaxy of of things that you do experience through the game and i guess it's it's coming back to what you were saying the fact that it all holds together and that you can experience it through much lighter storytelling uh because you're the the main character in the thing uh makes it rich and interesting and uh and i honestly i i really can't think of any other uh example i'm very happy to hear from you guys if you think there are but any other example of such an ambitious world building uh example a, a project that coalesces in that way um so well tolkien tolkien did he was one guy doing that uh and and he had he had way more lord of the rings type not stories in him that than will ever be published but it is it is a a fairly uncommon situation i i think star wars has grown to that and then been pruned back now uh, uh but yeah it's pretty rare maybe to star have, wars yeah have something that extensive maybe star wars maybe the the marvel universe possibly the, uh, yeah the uh, marvel DC universe, universe is getting there well. but Definitely. those are so convoluted you know, um, it's basically no one ever dies. And, and certainly in, in World of Warcraft and gaming in general, very few people actually die ever. But it Yeah, you, you, you particularly as the character can always just run back example, to your corpse, right? <laughs> um, but there are there is a timeline and it does make sense. In, in I don't know the DC universe as well, but in the Marvel universe, the timeline kind of does make sense. But then you have the regular, you know, Earth 616 and Earth. Whatever, well, you know, and Blizzard's the, getting there too with our our little trip back in time in the last expansion. So a little bit, a little bit. But what I mean is, uh, you were talking about Tolkien, and there's the Silmarillion, uh, which explores a little bit of the mythology of that world. But it's very. It's oh, but there's very... so much more than the Silmarillion. Like there's oh, okay. there's there's like twelve volumes of his notes that you can buy in hardback, annotated by his son Christopher notes, Tolkien. Like, right, it, yeah. but it's not it's not. Yeah, I, I'm sure he had that the universe in his there head, to right? Be, yeah, to be yeah. well, no, and he had it written down. Uh, hmm. It's it's okay. quite extensive. All right, interesting. Well, because I did re- read uh, the Silmarillion, 
and it was it was interesting. I loved it, but it wasn't as expensive. Maybe one day we'll we'll uh, do an academic comparison yeah, of yeah, all uh, you know, and I I can tell you a little bit about uh, what I know of the Warcraft universe, and uh, you'll tell me if it's. Uh, smaller or bigger than some of the other things we know in the, in the world of fantasy. But the point being, yeah, this, even, it, this may not be unique upon the face of the earth, but it certainly is rare. Yeah, for sure. All right. I think that is going to be it for us. Uh, good luck to Chris Metzen in his future Absolutely. Uh, dad endeavors. And I'm sure we'll see creative stuff from him again at some point. I think he's, he's not done. You know, he's 42. It's not like he's never going to work again, so... Um, thanks so much for, for being on. That was a, a really great, uh, a fun episode to do with you. Why, why don't you tell the listeners where they can find your uh, activities online? If they want of more. course. Uh, thank you for having me. A, a pleasure as always. Uh, one of the places that folks who listen to this show might enjoy if they don't already is daily tech news show at daily tech news show.com. Uh, Monday through Friday, we, converse about the tech news of the day and try to take interesting perspectives on it. And Patrick joins us every Tuesday on that show. So go check it out, dailytechnewsshow.com. And if you just want to keep up on all of the headlines and know what's going on in the world of tech, we also have a headline show, dailytechheadlines.com. How do you work so much? I don't understand. How do you not collapse? Doing it's, it's a daily a, tech it's, show. It's a magic trick, Patrick. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to teach it to me at some point. Um, for me, it's not Patrick on Twitter and Facebook. You can follow me there uh, and you will find this show and uh, the Phileas Club, my show about international news topics uh, on Frenchspin.com. And if you speak French, you can go to Frenchspin.fr for the French language shows there. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We will, of course, be back in a couple of weeks with more uh, gaming news. Talk to you then.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.